we work so hard to get stronger, happier, more productive and successful, don't forget the secret ingredient. Get grounded in play. Play grounding when it's time to get a life. Welcome back to Playgrounding. I missed you guys so much. It's been two full weeks. I am really, really sorry. I broke like one of the cardinal rules of blogging and podcasting. What you're supposed to do is be ahead of yourself and have enough episodes so that if life happens and something goes wrong, you have episodes to put on when you're called out of town or something else happens. Um, I didn't have that backup. Um, this particular week, and I ended up losing two weeks worth of stuff. But you know what? Um, it was interesting. I know uh, last we left off with my interview with Martin on um, on a let a primal play. I want to say prodigal play. I guess that's my seminary training in me. Um, but after Martin, I went dark for two weeks, and it wasn't planned. But everything is okay now. Um, I had the opportunity to spend a few weeks in Maryland with my mother-in-law, and she's amazing. She lives in Brunswick, Maryland. It's very close to the Virginias. Um, it's rural. It's really rural. I got to see historic things. I got to see little plates on all these different sites that said amazing things happened here and nothing happened there. Um, I got to see groundhogs and deer and rivers that don't smell like a toilet. Hello, LA River. Um, There were also a million trees, the most beautiful trees I've ever seen in my life. There's so many of them. Most of them didn't have houses in them, and that was disappointing, but I liked them anyway. Anyway, during this time, I had to give up on the idea that I could keep up. I had to let go and just I'm a freelance copywriter, so that meant that I had to ask some of my clients for an extension on a project, and it also meant losing a few weeks of my brand new baby podcast, and they say that that's doing something very dangerous, that I'll lose listeners, and so I just want to say, if you're you're listening to this right now, thank you so much for staying with me. Uh, I really, really appreciate it, because what ended up happening on my little hiatus was that I stopped doing and running and to do listing myself into oblivion. And then I had some ideas. I actually had some new ideas. Uh, My circumstances shifted away from my usual routine and my mind went on an adventure. And what I kept thinking about was you, was playgrounding. Um, 12 weeks now after my launch, I've learned so much. Oh my gosh, I had a chance out there. I I got to process what I've been learning and thinking about how I'm going to move forward. Am I going to do anything different? Do I need to change things up a little bit? But when I I first started to do this podcast, I didn't know exactly where I'd end up. And I still don't. But I've learned so much from you. And I've heard amazing feedback from you. And it's helping me to narrow my focus. I'm starting to kind of get a better feel for how to stay laser targeted on where I'm hearing that you're enjoying this the most. Um, I never intended this to be a podcast where I'm behind a mic trying to bring you my great well of wisdom about the world. I needed this to be a conversation and I have not been disappointed. The conversation has begun and I thank you so much. So I'm going to kind of, you know, shift and change with my own ideas, but also listen to what you're telling me and try to make sure that we stay on track. Um, So this week's episode, finding play when life is no fun. Um, 
And what got me thinking about this topic is a dog next door. He's a four to five year old black German shepherd. He lived next door to my mother-in-law. And I heard the story about this dog from not only her, but a few of her neighbors. If there was a Cinderella story about a dog, Lycan, that's his name, Lycan would be it. He had a home, but he was the unwanted stepchild with three step brothers or sisters. I don't know what they were. Um, the owners had three other dogs who lived in the house. There were two pit bulls and a wiener dog. Cutest thing I've ever seen, seeing the three of them run around. They ran freely in and out of the house. And I imagine that they probably slept with their owners, played with them, and watched TV inside the house. But Lycan spent all day in a fenced-in era area of the yard on a chain. On a chain. All day. Animal services had been called on these people several times for leaving him outside in blizzards. But somehow everything worked out for these people, and he still lives there. The owners take him inside at night now, and when it rains, and when it gets too cold. But what I'm told is that he lives in a basement when he's inside. He doesn't live in the house with the other dogs. And my mother-in-law asked them once why they do this. Why don't they just put him up for adoption or take him to a shelter? And they said, oh, well, we don't want him to get killed. We're saving his life. So they're saving his life by keeping him to themselves and treating them like the unwanted stepchild when they have three other dogs that are living the life. Now, there may be reasons for this. Maybe the other dogs don't get along with him. Maybe they fight. Um, I'm not enough of a dog person to understand some of these dynamics, but I do think it's strange that they won't even give him a chance. Um, we've called or we've heard of people calling the German rescue, German Shepherd rescues and things like that, but he's not really in bad shape. He's a, not a being abused, technically. But his life is pretty sad. I mean, one day I stopped at the fence and I called out to him. <laughs> I was a little scared because I'm like, this dog, he's like lives this weird life, like, you know, chained to a chain inside of a little yard. And I thought for a second he was giving me a dirty look. But then he, he ran around the yard back and forth the minute we made, after we made, made eye contact. And he got super, super happy. And it's freaking me so happy just remembering it. He got crazy excited. He didn't come over to the corner of the fence where I could really see in. Um, he was looking all over for his toy. He grabbed this great big blue ball that had a handle on it. And he just started running around with it. And he brought it over to me and he tried to sit it in front of me, in front of the corner of this fence. Of course, I couldn't do anything with this toy because I couldn't go inside the fence. But my mother-in-law had some uh, tennis balls, I think exactly for this very type of occasion. And we played for so long. I, I started this game of fetch with him that lasted, oh my gosh, any time I could possibly get out there to play. And he would play all day and all night. He was so happy when we played fetch. And Whenever I had to leave at the end of the day, I felt horrible and I knew that I could get away if I just throw the ball and run away. But then I think that poor dog coming back to the fence to see me just disappeared. He seems like a really smart dog and I didn't want to do that to him. So I'd sit the ball down. He'd try to give it back to me. I'd sit the ball down. He'd try to put it through the crack in the fence and finally he'd get it. And I'd pet his nose and I'd wave goodbye and he seemed to understand and for him, understanding was just sitting there with this weird blank stare that looked nothing like that happy dog that came running over with a big blue ball, and it just broke my heart. And, oh my gosh, I wanted to take him home with me so badly, but there was just no way. 
and there was no real way to rescue him either way, whether I actually had the ability to have a dog in my house or not, because he wasn't starving. He wasn't completely neglected. He was just mostly neglected, I guess you could say, but he had a roof over his head at night and when it rained, he had food, he had people who paid somewhat attention to him, and he had a lot of neighbors that liked to play games with him. Um, but what it got me thinking about is how we think about happiness and contentment, and I realized how much, how many of us are out here living like lichen, um, and we don't complain. Um, I identified with lichen, and I know a lot of other people who remind me of lichen were not in visible distress. Maybe we have jobs and homes and families, but things aren't really all that okay. They're not bad. They're not horrible, but they're not really good either. And um, like I remember after the housing crisis, during the recession, I worked at a tech distributor and there were a lot of layoffs. Like we were laying people off before the general news and public knew that layoffs were going to happen. And people I was working around, we were working double and triple time. I was... I was actually jealous of the people who got laid off because they got a severance, they went on unemployment. Um, it wasn't the best in that economy because jobs were hard to come by, but some of them went back to school. They reinvented themselves. I got to watch these things happen for them on Facebook. I was so happy for them. They took soul-searching road trips and things like that, and I was back in the office, the lucky one, covering two and a half jobs in addition to the one I was hired for. But I never said I was unhappy. I mean, I had a job. I was fine. I had developed, you know, a pretty decent, you know, acceptance for the idea that I would work in nine in the morning till nine at night. Um, actually, no, back then it was eight in the morning till nine at night. The security guards were always, you know, kind of making fun of me on my way out the door because I was one of the people who was the latest ones to stay there. But I would just say, I'm happy. I have a job. I'm fine. I didn't get laid off. Um, you know, I actually started at that point to go into a numb state that I had stayed in for a very, very long time after that. I had tried to get out. I tried to do other things. But I've developed the ability to say what Lycan probably would say inside of his cage. I'm good. No one's beating me. I have food. They take me inside when it rains. I'm happy. It's all good. Um, but I knew that every day he watched the pit bulls who had the run of the place, um, were running around outside and in between the legs of their owners. And I, I know that I'm probably anthropomorphizing this dog a little too much, but I have to say, I can't imagine Lycan was all that happy with the situation. So by kind of remembering the things that Lycan got me thinking about, by remembering that tendency that I had, that I know so many of you have, I've had these conversations since starting this, this podcast that, you know, it's all good. I don't know. I don't really have that much time to play. I try, but you know, I'm happy. I got, I got, I have a job. I have a life. Um, these kinds of things, these kind, these kinds of statements, I've, I've developed a very fine tuned ear, um, to really be able to read through the lines when I hear things like that. So for this episode, I want to kind of talk about some of my ideas about how we can find our way to play, um, to your play, to the things that really make you happy. Now, this may be concerned with your job. This may be concerned with finding things and fun things to do outside of your job. Um, but in any case, life is a beautiful adventure. And 
I want to help you find play. I am still on my adventure. I am still trying to figure this out, which I will tell you at the end of my little scheme for what I'm going to try to do to continue on my adventure and maybe take you with me. Um, so before I bring you any more interviews, I'm going to spend this episode talking about how to handle the cages that we live in, um, a la cute little black German Shepherd lichen, which there will be a picture of on the show notes. You've got to go check him out. He's so cute. Anyway. Okay. Number one in my three, uh, little kind of strategies for uncovering play. Number one is identify if you're really happy. Um, that kind of sounds weird, right? You think, you know, someone just walked up to you on the street and said, are you happy? <laughs> we don't always know. Um, I know that when things are going wrong, it's easy to know. It's easy to say, well, of course this, this email I sent to a thousand people had the wrong, you know, customization in it. Or, um, today I dropped a two by four on my friend's head during my, at my construction site. Or, you know, there are a number of things that actually really are wrong. And when they happen in our lives, they bring a discontent that is warranted. You know, we, we see something going on. I just got broken up with by a spouse or I, I burnt dinner. I mean, there are any number of things that can go wrong that we can then assign our unhappiness to and make it all make perfect sense. But I think it's even more obvious when things start going better. And I think this is when we hear people say so much more often, um, no, I'm fine. Everything's fine. When they have that kind of robot far off distant look in their eyes. So, so when things are going well, is that good? Do you feel better? I, I hope this is the case. I really want this to be the case for you. If when things are going better, do you just wake up in the morning going, thank goodness I'm caught up. Um, nothing really horrible is happening. Yay. This is a good day. And do you put a skip in your step? Do you listen to happy music on the way into work that isn't so that you can rev up? It's just because that's how you feel. I mean, if that's you, awesome. Thank you. I'm so glad to know that you're out there. I know so many other people have such a hard time letting go and just enjoying happiness and goodness when it happens. So if that's you, woohoo. I think you've already made it, but yeah. Um, maybe that's you sometimes, maybe not all the time. Sometimes, especially if we've gone through long extended periods of unhappiness and things going wrong, it leads to um, illnesses like depression. It leads to anxiety, which is definitely what happened with me, just with the way that my career had gone and the, and the way that my I worked. I was a overworker. I did things a little too much, too well. I took on too much. I was such a great martyr. Um, I didn't really have great boundaries. And as a result, I had kind of live in this constant state of worry that I'm missing something, that something is my responsibility that could go wrong. And I'm, I'm actually talking to someone about that. I'm getting help for that. Um, so that I don't have to live in that state. Um, so for me, no, I was not happy underneath it all. I was definitely still miserable rather regardless of circumstances. Um, so that was part of the cage that I was living in. Um, maybe your cage is an underlying pessimism. Um, for me, I, think of myself as a fun person, but my husband recently pointed out that when it comes to the big things in life, I tend to get a little pessimistic and expect the worst. And he asked me, what in the world is wrong with you? <laughs> because so many things have been going right in the last few years, but I still have this caution tape around me, around everything. Like, but I don't know, something's lurking. I know. And I know that all goes along with anxiety as well, but just having a general sense of pessimism, just maybe you're not when things are all going right and you still feel that, 
you're still in a cage. You're in a cage. Um, maybe your cage, um, and I've actually heard this from a lot more people than I imagined. Maybe your cage is that things are going fine, but you don't really feel anything at all. Um, I, I notice that when I talk to people like this, they start the conversation with, well, you know, I can't complain, but blah, 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 blah. Um, I feel that need, that desire to complain. The problem is I don't know if they'd even know what to complain about because ultimately I would hear how well things are going. Blah, blah, blah is happening at work and this great person is now my boss and, and you know, my kids are doing well or this or that. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, but you know that there's a but in there. There's a, but really what I'm feeling is, Ugh, I don't even know. I don't even know how to find it. And that is just really hard for me. Um, it's really hard for me to hear that because some of these people are just amazingly intelligent, amazingly accomplished. Um, I, I wish I had some of the opportunities that they had. So they are very blessed. They are very lucky. Um, they've worked really hard to get where they are. But what really, really matters is not a lot of those things when it comes right down to it there's a, a level of uncertainty and unsettledness um, also to help you identify if you're really happy start peeling back some of these coping mechanisms um, I know last summer I got off caffeine um, I had cortisol screaming through my body every single day I, I drank up to six cups of coffee a day and I don't mean cups I meant I could go through several ventis and then fill up my large um, to-go mug in the office probably another good two or three times. Um, I averaged probably a five or six venti-sized coffees a day. <laughs> and I, I, man, I was addicted and coming off of coffee was very, very painful, very, very difficult. But I did it. I did it. I didn't have that coping mechanism anymore. I went through a strange period of kind of a caffeine withdrawal depression, which was only lasted a little while, but I came out the other side feeling things. I wasn't grinding my teeth. I felt relaxed for the first time in a while. I learned how to relax. Um, that was a huge thing that I peeled back off of my life that actually started revealing other things. Um, other things that we have smoking. I know uh, my husband recently quit smoking. That was a huge coping mechanism for him in many ways with other things. Um, Wow, my head is off to anyone who quit smoking, having been there to watch it up close. Wow. Um, but boy, does it bring anxiety and boy, does it uncover things. Um, also, alcohol. Um, alcohol has, I've identified as it as something I had been using in an unhealthy way to deal with anxiety. I don't necessarily get panic attacks, but I get very, very stressed out and I'll spend an entire day feeling kind of, ooh, what do I do now? What do I do now? If I do this, is it okay if I do this? Should I be doing something else? You know, that kind of thing. Um, once I stopped letting myself have a glass of wine to calm myself down, um, I started realizing I really needed to find other ways to um, stop those things from happening in the first place. Um, so, and I started seeing a, a therapist. I'm super, super excited about the things I'm learning. I'm getting cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy, and I'm learning how to strip away this anxiety. But I couldn't really do that until I stripped away the coping mechanisms that I was using um, what they really do is they obfuscate. They don't let you see whether or not you're actually really happy. They let you feel numb. They let you stay th numb. 
Um, and it's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do, um, to numb yourself. Um, so number one, identify if you're really happy You have to like, you know, figure out how you respond when things are going right. Um, because I guarantee that if things don't feel good when they're kind of literally going right and you have nothing to complain about, it's going to be 10 times worse when things are going wrong and you need to be able to cope. Um, I've already started seeing amazing benefits in my own life, um, by just even trying to figure this out in the first place. It did take a long time though. It took about a good year to really work through everything, get all the way from quitting coffee and not being a like manic stress case to being in therapy for anxiety and feeling like things were really totally changing in my outlook. So I don't think it's something you can do overnight, but start the journey and get help if you need it. And yeah, so identify whether or not you're happy. Number two, identify your cage. Um, cause guaranteed like whether or not you're happy, that's just a symptom. The cage that you're actually in, um, what is it? What do you want to, what do you want to break free of? What are you frustrated about? If you've let yourself finish the sentence, I can't complain, but what would it be? Um, this one is really hard for some people because the cage might be something of your own making. Um, it might be an expectation that you're living out, maybe an expectation others had of you, maybe one that you had of yourself from very young, um, a career path you took. Well, you don't have to force yourself to stay with something just because you said you would. Um, I know that's really hard to hear, but you don't have to, if your cage is of your own making and you put yourself in that cage and you locked yourself in it and you're too stubborn to let yourself out, that's so sad. And I'm really sad for you. I really want you to let yourself out. Um, there's no reason. There's no reason at all. I, I started to try to become an artist representative right after I quit my job, um, in marketing and I failed. And I know that it was so hard for me because I told everyone this is what I was going to do. But once I started to realize that for me, it just, it was going to be a dead end for a million reasons. I didn't, I loved it, but I just didn't have the, I didn't have the capacity or the understanding or the knowledge, um, to really make it happen fast enough for me to make enough money to live. So I had to go out there and admit it. And guess what? Everyone said, oh, well, you know, it looks like a really hard thing and great. I'm glad you found something you like. I ended up becoming a freelance writer. Um, so anyway, you don't have to hold yourself to these things because I know how hard it is to go out and admit when something that you said you were going to do was not the right thing to do. Um, give yourself that chance and give people the benefit of the doubt. Give your friends and family the benefit of the doubt that they're not going to rake you over the coals. And if they do distance yourself a little bit from them because nobody has the right to tell you what to do with your life. Um, it could be, it could be a, something of your own making. It could be a job, um, a career choice that you're unhappy with. Um, but maybe it, even though you could change jobs without too much hassle, things are going well, you're making good money. So why rock the boat? You know, um, that's lazy. I'm sorry. That's just lazy. If you're really miserable, um, and you don't want to rock the boat, um, probably you don't get to complain later because I mean, I'm being a little hard on you. I'm sorry. Um, I'm talking to myself because I stayed in that place for such a long time. And when I finally did realize that I had the keys to that cage, that particular cage, I was so stressed out about taking a step. Um, it took so much for me to finally do it. Um, and I did kind of have some negative self-talk around that and I didn't mean to just put that out on you, but seriously, 
if you have the ability, if that key is in your pocket and it's not going to necessarily upend your whole world and your family's world, and then just do it. Just do it. Um, especially if it's, if it's just a particular job and you're going to stay in a career, go find out what's in that next boat. Um, you might not be jumping from a frying pan into another fire. Um, get out there while you have your job. Look at all the different options. Go to networking events. Meet people. Um, start putting out resumes before you need to, before you get so miserable that you just want to, like, you know, scream at someone next to you, in the cubicle next to you and make yourself and everyone else miserable. Um, if it's not a job, if it's maybe a, a community community you're a part of that isn't serving you anymore, a, um, a volunteer work or, or, you know, a church or something like that where you're not really feeling it anymore, but you feel obligated, take a step back and realize you have the keys to that kingdom, to keys to that fence you can get out. Um, there also may be cages that are formed by the lifestyle choices that we make. Um, maybe it's important to stay in a particular career because you know if you didn't, you wouldn't be able to afford payments on that fancy car or because you wouldn't be able to live in that fancy neighborhood or carry that brand of purse. I've actually talked to a lot of people who feel very strongly about these things. Um, and I don't blame you if that's what you really love. But in those moments when you're feeling stuck and you're feeling sad, just think about that car next to the open road that you can't drive down because you're so busy and you have no way of, of actually ever going anywhere or doing anything that you want to do. Um, if it does give you that opportunity, if the money is there and you're able to take a lot of vacation time, great. You're in the happy category. You're not in a cage. You're actually able to be out there and doing those things. But if keeping up appearances for your family, for coworkers, for anyone else, if that's what you're unhappy for, you have the keys to that cage. You really, really do. Um, I know it wouldn't be easy. I believe me, it sounds like something if you've never experienced it. It sounds like something you can kind of make fun of someone for. But you know what? There are real pressures out there that I, I've seen in others. I I never really... I have a beat-up 2007 Honda Fit that I love so much and I never want it to die. I love going shopping at Goodwill. I kind of don't care. I have a pink backpack I got at Staples. I have been told several times when I walk into offices of clients that I kind of look like a little kid going to middle school, but okay, maybe I should probably get a new backpack. But at the same time, I know that there are people and I've talked to them and I have compassion. I understand that there are things that they feel really strongly about in this area. So I'm not saying it's easy, but again, you do hold that key. Um, probably the most difficult and the most important one of the cages, um, and it always makes me sad to know that there are people who do feel like their family obligations are a cage. They've, they're in a place where they're having, they have a job that, you know, honestly, it feeds your family. It keeps the roof over your head. Um, there are really no other options that you can see at this point. And if you're the sole breadwinner, that kind of thing, my head is off to you. I know that this is not the easiest time, especially if you're a single parent, that kind of thing. Um, but you, what I want to ask is, is I kind of want to bring us back to a story from the very first interview I ever did. It's episode two of Playgrounding with a woman named Meg Rabbit. And she's been my inspiration in so many ways, um, part of the reason why this podcast exists. Um, but she talked about how she had been in a mind-numbing job. She knew, she knew she had more in her. 
So she took this leap. It's a long story um, of how she became this amazing entrepreneur and she's out there doing living the dream. But through the entire thing, she was raising a son. She didn't start when she was single and then have a baby and then continue on this path. No, she had a kid and as a single mom, she went through her adventures and found herself. I actually also just watched a movie called Joy and it does move a tiny bit slow. It stars What's-Her-Face from uh, Brother the Girl on Fire. Uh, I can't remember. I'll put it in the show notes. But it's an amazing story. I just thought of it or I would have written all of this down from my notes. But the woman who created the first self-cleaning mop, the self, um, yeah, the mop thing. I'll put it in the show notes. But long story short, this woman had a family. She was divorced. She was taking care of, of sick parents um, she probably had more stresses in her life than I have ever seen on one, I mean, on all the bad days in my life, this woman was living that out every single day. And it was the story of how she became a billionaire because she knew she had more in her. She was an inventor. She created an invention empire. She was like the queen of Q QVC. Um, these stories inspire me. And I, I don't get to talk about this kind of issues because I have no children. Um, I didn't, I don't have a family. I have a husband and I am responsible to him, um, to making sure that I'm bringing in money and putting stuff in the coffers for us to, you know, live our life together. I want to be a support to him in the same way that he is for me. But I know that those of you out there with, with kids, it can seem like there are no, cho no choices, but when I'm learning from my own friends and even from stories like Joy's, um, there are choices. And in both Joy's case and in my friend Meg Rabbit's case, what they knew was, there's so much more in me. There's so much more I want to do. And they found a way to do it and raise their families. And you should meet Meg's son. I mean, talk about a kid who's seen a lot. He probably didn't get to wear the fanciest shoes. But honestly, watching this kid, I don't think he really cares. He lived an amazing life. He, he has an amazing mother. Um, and now he's going off on his own adventures. And um, yeah, and, and while Meg continues her own. So yeah, I just, I want to say that, yes, that is, that can feel like a cage and you know what? You may not see a way out right now and I get it. I'm not going to try to say that there is, that is up to each and every person, but I do believe there is a way out of any cage unless we're literally being held captive. And there are millions of people around this world. I won't go into my thoughts on human trafficking right now, but we are so lucky that we live, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably living in a quote unquote first world. I don't think we use those terms anymore. You're living in luxury compared to a lot of people around this planet. And even women who are living off of less than a dollar a day are getting microcredit loans and starting little businesses in countries where, you know, women aren't even really given that much credit for being anything at all. Um, you have the resources to open your cage. The key is sitting in your own pocket if you really, really want it. Um, if what I just said makes you angry, if me telling you that you have the key to your own cage made you feel mad and defensive, um, then listen to that because I just hit a sore spot and I know that sore spot really, really well. I bet you've been telling yourself that there's no way out of your cage and to keep yourself from being disappointed or trying something new, you believe that lie. Um, you believe you can't get out. You believe the story you've been telling yourself. But guess what? We're not dogs. We're not on chains at the mercy of animal services or owners who love us just enough to keep us alive. 
No, we are not slaves. We are not captives unless we're a captive to one person who gets to hold that key and that is you. Um, so if fun is eluding you, if life is dull, um, you really do have that key and I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying, um, we need to start rethinking the stories that we're telling ourselves. My third piece of advice, my first thing I would suggest that you do, um, is watch how you daydream. Um, a few weeks ago on a podcast I love called hidden brain. It's kind of new still. It's called, oh, it's called hidden brain. Um, the episode is about visualization and it's called whoop. There it is. Ha 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 ha. Whoop is a name of a strategy that this woman employs. I'm going to link to this episode in the show notes. I'm also going to link you back to her website. It's amazing. In this episode, the interview host Shankar Vedantam interviews a researcher named Gabrielle. Okay. I hope I say this right. Ottingen. Ottingen. Yes. Okay. She challenges the way we think about positive thinking. She said, sometimes we sit around visualizing ourselves, achieving our goals, or in our case, escaping our cage. It doesn't always work the way we want it to work. It can even impede us and our ability to reach our goals or get that new habit or whatever it is that we're after. Instead, she believes we should use her strategy, which is whoop for short. You'll learn all about that on the podcast episode. I don't want to go into too much of it now, but what I want to try to say is it might not be the best idea for us to sit around and dream of our ideas for our perfect lives. So take, for instance, one of those really hard days, or even just when you realize that you're unhappy, maybe it's the day is going along just well, fine, but you still feel empty inside, especially on those, those days. If we have an idea about what it would be like outside of this, outside of our cage, it can almost make us more stuck because what it does is it makes us feel temporarily better to imagine living that life out there somewhere someday. Um, it's like popping a pill for a headache. It doesn't cure your headache. It just makes you feel better temporarily, but then you have to go back to real life. Um, in really, really fascinating episode. You should really check it out. It's kind of about how we're able to sedate ourselves temporarily and not really actually do anything to reach that life because we have to get back to the urgency and the things that are calling to us back inside of our cages. So I am going to read her book. I've just ordered it. It's called Rethinking Positive Thinking, um, Inside the New Science of Motivation. I'm going to share my thoughts with you and on Whoop and a little segment at the end of every show because what I'm getting to in this whole episode is that I am going to challenge myself to free myself from a cage as well. Um, my husband will probably be very happy that I'm finally launching this because otherwise I sit around going, but I can't. <laughs> so believe me, I know every single one of those cage scenarios I described, except for the one of having a family to support, I completely understand. And for those of you with families, like I said, I'm trying to understand, but for me right now, I'm going to go exploring and I want to share it with you as I go, because for me, play is the way I'm going to get there. Um, it's the only way I can do this. I can't in all seriousness, sit down and try to figure out what's the best next job for me. Because when I take it too seriously, I freak out. And here's the story I tell myself. After grad school, my choice of profession didn't work out. And it's a long story, but you know, it was the right decision. And to pay the bills, I fell into a marketing job. You know, I was a temp. The lady I was working for was a vice president of this marketing department. And 
she said, you know, you're, you, you should come and be on my, one of my teams. And so I did. Been doing that ever since. So now marketing is all I'm good for because I've been doing it for over a decade and I can't really start over at this age. I mean, I already tried going back to bartending, but sometimes you just can't turn back the clock. You know what I mean? So marketing it is. I don't want to be in marketing, but this is my lot. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Now, this is a story that I've told myself over and over and over, and it's time for me to stop. It's time for me to, you know, start getting off, getting out of that, that cycle. Um, the, the fact that I even started this podcast, the fact that I started last year, like really, really taking this seriously. I, when I did quit coffee, I knew that there was something different. I, I knew I needed to uncover Am I really happy? What am I doing with myself? What is this thing? What's holding me back? Um, So the fact that I started the podcast, it's the first indication that I've really started chipping away at that story. And now I'm a freelance marketing writer. I've taken a step out of the actual corporate world of being a marketing person where all the stress for me was really too much. I've met amazing people that I work with now who love marketing. They majored in it in college. They are right in the fray where they're where they want to be. They're like living the dream. They really love it. I'm not one of those people, but I do understand their industry really well. So I'm a great writer for marketers. I have clients who work for companies who do things I'm excited about and believe in. But my problem is I find it really hard to be motivated to write for playgrounding when I get done with the day of writing for someone else. Like, see, marketing, not marketing, writing for me is my secret dream. Marketing and probably music, like singing. I love singing and I love writing. And when I do things just for a client, I have a really hard time coming back and doing it. I I lose all my inspiration. And I probably get that from my mom. She's a quilter, an amazing quilter, but she said she didn't want to quilt for money because it would ruin quilting for her. It was her zen. It was the thing that just flowed out of her and if she did it for a deadline, it would kill kill the flow. I feel the same way about writing. I love writing, but I don't really mind doing it for a deadline if it's an idea that I have. So doing this podcast every week, writing a blog post, I get so excited. I make deadlines for myself just to keep a flow going. Um, but after I've spent a week of writing other things for other people's deadlines, some of that flow and some of that excitement disappears. So the only alternative I can think of is that I need to come up with something else to do for money, something that doesn't involve writing. Um, and I have no idea what that might be. I, I really, really don't. And when I, I have sat down on many occasions and just seriously tried to look through job ads and figure out, you know, what that thing will be. But every time I do, I hit a brick wall. So I decided to turn it into a game. I'm going to play with figuring this thing out. I'm going to play um, with getting out of my cage, just to imagine it were possible, first of all, because I obviously have been telling myself the story that it's not for a long time. So I'm going to start taking out all these ideas that are rattling around in my head, put them down and start just imagining, are there any ways to pay the bills lingering around in the back of my head with things that I'm good at? I've made a list of these possible things on the side of my freelance business For as long as it takes, I'm going to try to go through this list and figure out which one is right for me. I'm turning it into an exploration game. Uh, My very first thing I'm going to do is go to Infocom in Las Vegas next week. Um, I've always loved tech. I loved marketing in tech, but I love the tech way more than I love marketing it. And I love anything to do with production and especially, you know, I just started this podcast. So maybe I'll find out if I might be good at audio engineering. I can learn more about being a better podcast audio engineer. Um, 
that's where I'm going. I'm going to Infocom. And you know what else I love? I love wine. Maybe I'd make a good wine sales rep. Maybe I'm a huge learner. I would love to just pour myself into learning about grapes. I don't know. Um, I love travel. My father-in-law is in the travel industry. Maybe I'll, you know, pick his brain. There are so many things that when I let myself just turn it into a game, throw it all on the wall, write it onto a whiteboard, write it into a journal, start dreaming up all the crazy, crazy things. Um, maybe there's a way out of my cage after all. I, I, I am holding myself to the idea that I have a responsibility to myself to find that key and open it up and find a way to, 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 to make life into something where I'm not starting every day with, well, you know, I can't complain. So, uh, you know, this isn't really a podcast about career. Um, but it is, it's not really just a podcast about health, but it is, it's about happiness, but it's, oh, yeah, it's more than that. And I think what I really want to take is all those things and use play as a way to lead us back, to lead us into possibility and excitement and loving life again. So we will continue to talk about play and we're going to talk about career and we're going to talk about health. Um, but right now we're kind of talking about career. So stay tuned here. I'm going to have a segment at the end of every episode talking about where I've been. I'll be podcasting from Las Vegas next week. And oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So I'll let you know kind of like, did I hit a wall? Is there anything there? Um, and then I want you to share back with me. Are you feeling like you're inside of a cage? And I don't know. What are your ideas on the subject? Definitely email me. Email me at kara at playgrounding.com and let me know it, if this makes you think of anything. Tell me if you're angry. Tell me if you disagree. Tell me if you think that sometimes you just have to do what you have to do and just deal with it and suck it up. Fine. Tell me that. Tell me whatever it is this has brought up for you. Um, I look forward to meeting more of you. I, the ones I've met so far, just you're amazing people and I can't wait. Um, keep this show on the road no more hiatuses for me i'm catching up so if i run into any snags i'll be there every wednesday thank you so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to stay on this adventure i'm on itunes and stitcher and soundcloud and a bunch of other stuff you'll have links to all of that on playgrounding.com and the show notes from today's episode playgrounding.com slash 11 bye-bye